Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. And we're, this is the show where we take you into the ooky, the spooky, the unexplained, the unbelievable, and the bizarre. And um, hey, maybe we'll even find an answer while we're at it. Uh, Caroline, what do you have for us this week? Well, first, Sean, I have a question. Oh. Do you believe in ghosts? No. <laughs> You know that. <laughs> I asked you if it was a deal breaker on like our uh, uh, fifth date. Uh, it was our second date. And um, yes, that was the only time I've ever been asked that. But I thought it was very thoughtful of you. Uh, yeah, I'm a thoughtful guy. But you, you don't believe in any supernatural, ghostly phenomena. I've never seen anything that I found convincing. No. Okay. Well, <laughs> for the second in our two-part series on Hollywood horrors, and y'all should check out part one, Cursed Films, if you haven't already, we're going to continue to combine the world of movies and movie stars with the world of the bizarre with stories of haunted Hollywood. Sean, there's a reason LA is called the City of Angels, because it seems no one in the industry truly leaves even after death. Wow, Carrie. Very spooky. <laughs> I know, it's so spooky. When are you writing a travel guide? Uh, soon, I hope. <laughs> to make things easier, I'm going to actually divide the hauntings. I'm discussing by a few major locations in Hollywood, so maybe our listeners can make their own little travel guide out of this episode. Oh, how nice. A little uh, half travelogue situation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We'll start with one you'll read in every book or slideshow or article on Hollywood hauntings. Alyssa Lamb. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's LA. That's not Hollywood. This is going to be the Roosevelt Hotel. Mm -hmm. Located right on Hollywood Boulevard, the Roosevelt opened in 1927 and is the oldest continually operating hotel in Hollywood and was named after President Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, we well, like how him. nice. Yeah. Those that financed it included MGM co-founder Louis B. Mayer and silent film stars Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks. The first Academy Awards ceremony was held at the Roosevelt in 1929 inside its Blossom Ballroom, and the Roosevelt has even hosted the Razzies on numerous occasions. Oh, so that's fun. Very fun. Now that's an award show I could uh, I could see going to, although I guess you're probably not going to see the nominees there. Well, uh, I would say it's interesting. The same year that Sandra Bullock won her Oscar for The Blind Side, she also accepted the Razzie in person for, what's the movie? It's like, What About Steve? I know it's not that. But all it's About like, Steve. All About Steve, something like that. So, um, you know, she's a good sport. And a few of them have accepted in person over the years. I love that. Um Good on you. Good on you, Sandy Bullock. <laughs> mm -hmm. Films shot at the Roosevelt include Catch Me If You Can, The Fabulous Baker Boys, and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Catch Me If You Can, uh, I'm on the record as saying one of the most underrated Spielberg films. Oh, for sure. Recent TV shows filmed at the hotel include O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story, Lucifer, and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, Agent Carter's getting up in there. <laughs> I guess she's not. No, that's a different she, show. No. No, I would actually watch it if she was on there because I like her. <laughs> now, the ghosts. There are a lot of them. Uh, and that's because the hotel has had a lot of famous and notable residents and guests. The most famous ghost, one that is always brought up when discussing the hotel's haunts, is Marilyn Monroe. 
Oh. Incidentally, one of the most famous women of all time, and certainly a workaholic ghost, because she's seen all around town, apparently, like her old apartment, all that stuff. Well, listen, if you were a starlet, right? You're um, just hopping from place to place. Oh, your whole life was about hoping to get seen. Mm-hmm. Why would you stop wanting to be seen after you passed? Exactly. Monroe, who died of what was deemed an intentional suicide by overdose at the age of 36, stayed at the Roosevelt constantly during her life. Constantly? Yeah. Um, this is like, like Lindsay Lohan's Chateau Yeah, Marmont. there's a lot of people who basically live at hotels rather than staying at home and in a place. She even lived there on and off for two years prior to her big break. So she was there a lot. Accounts vary as to where in the hotel she actually lived, with some pointing to room 229, suite 1200, or poolside in Cabana 246. Wow. You can stay in a cabana? Yeah. One of that. One of her first modeling jobs was even on the pool's diving board behind the hotel's main tower. Her apparition has been seen all around the hotel, including lounging by the pool around dusk. But the most common sightings by far are in what's called the Marilyn Monroe Mirror. Oh. Which which is just for this reason. She was seen in it. The story told most often is that around 1985, just before the the hotel reopened during... The hotel reopened following a two-year restoration. A staff member was cleaning the room that the actress always asked for when she stayed at the hotel. Or cabana. Whichever room that was. Um, And then when polishing the room's full-length mirror, the housekeeper noticed a beautiful blonde woman standing behind her. She turned and, surprised, saw no one there. But when she looked back at the mirror, the woman was still there, and the housekeeper now recognized her as Marilyn Monroe. Her skirt blew up for a second. <laughs> oh, like, I know oh. those thighs. I know those thighs anywhere. She later shared her experience with the cleaning staff and the legend grew of the haunted Marilyn Monroe mirror. People started visiting the hotel just to see it, and it was taken from its original room and first hung by the elevators near rear parking on the lower level, then moved to the mezzanine level next to the gift shop. And you can still see it today. Okay, but has anyone else like has it been? Uh, I've seen I've since? seen vague mentions of she's been seen in the mirror by several guests, but I didn't see anything as specific as the story of the first time she was seen. Monroe's co-star in the film The Misfits, Montgomery Clift, has also been sighted and heard at the hotel. Clift died in 1966 at the age of 45 due to occlusive coronary artery disease. Oh. Yeah, he stayed at the Roosevelt in room 928 while he was filming From Here to Eternity and apparently chose to spend eternity there as well. Very cute, Carrie. I'm, listen, I'm a wordsmith, if nothing else. <laughs> Clift was learning the bugle for the movie in the hotel, and it's said that people still hear the phantom bugling to this day. Yeah, five in the morning, you're trying to sleep. (laughs) Lovely. Mm -hmm. Dozens of guests over the years have phoned the front desk of the Roosevelt to complain about incessant trumpeting on the ninth floor, (laughs) with the sound even sometimes being traced to room 928, where Clift stayed, even when it's unoccupied. Oh. Did they say what he plays? Oh, what song? Yeah. I didn't find that. No, I wanted to know. I assume he was learning it at the time for his character who played it in the movie. So I assume it's not even like a lot of music, too. Oh, it's, it's just, just like, just... Meh, meh, 
like just the worst you know the uh, melodica like tentatively playing the jurassic park theme on youtube yeah yeah i'm doubting it's like great bugling either maybe he's learning taps right that's like three probably notes. i would say that's that's pretty like he was a soldier in the movie so that makes a lot of sense although if you're a ghost playing taps a little on the nose yeah, monty a, come on monty <laughs> Uh, various guests actually staying in room 928 have reported being touched by an unseen entity, feeling a cold breeze pass by in the corridor, or seeing shadowy forms in the hallway outside the room. Okay. Mm -hmm. The last weirdness at the Re Roosevelt Hall cover tonight is less a ghost and more of a strange phenomenon that can't be explained. Okay. Back in the Blossom Ballroom, you'll remember this is where the Academy Awards were first held. There is an area of space that always remains several degrees colder than the rest of the surrounding area. Like all the time? All the time. Now, if you're not familiar with paranormal phenomena, a cold spot is thought to be like a spirit manifesting. The spot in the Blossom Ballroom is has been measured to be like around a 30-inch diameter pillar of chilliness that just remains even when there's no air conditioning or other ventilation turned on. That sounded like the description of a D&D &D spell. <laughs> it's a 30-inch pillar of cold air. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. Uh, the pillar of coldness is generally around 10 degrees colder than any other spot in the room, which is also home to an apparition of a shadowy man in black. That's fantastic. Can it affect artifacts and undead? Um, we'll have to go and find out. <laughs> so, TBD. So, Sean, let's travel next to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. This cemetery is one of the oldest in Los Angeles and currently operates as a full-service cemetery, funeral home, crematory, and even a cultural events center with regular screenings of movies and live music. Yeah, that's one of those kind of, that's one of the things I get jealous of Ugh, uh, so jealous. Angelinos, right? Is is when you hear about I would be there all the time, screenings Sean. at that cemetery. Yeah, I'm like, I desperately want to go see yeah. a horror movie at uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. So much. I think last podcast on the left did a show there. Oh. Um, it was featured in, I think it was the first episode of American Horror Story Hotel where they go to watch a movie there and then, spoiler alert, the vampires eat them, if you remember that scene. Um, I don't. Set to tear viewer, you apart, but she wants revenge, one of my high school bops. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's known in pop culture as kind of this weird perfectly combining place of film and fun and culture and like the morbid and death. Uh, a ton of famous people are buried there um, because it's the only cemetery within the Hollywood district. So this includes George Harrison of the Beatles, Judy Garland, mobster Bugsy Siegel, and Johnny Ramone. Oh. So it's a really eclectic group uh, yeah, that's really. at this place. Yeah, you got Elvis, Mussolini, and George Washington. <laughs> Another burial here is one of the great workhorse ghosts of Hollywood, Rudolph Valentino. Oh, now there's a name I know. Oh, sexy, sexy. Valentino was the biggest male silent film actor of his time and died tragically at the height of his fame in 1926 at the age of 31 of a series of medical maladies involving gastric ulcers and pleurisy. Yeah, and famously, we celebrate Valentine's Day every year to this day in his honor, right? Dia de Valentino, obviously. Mm -hmm. 
When he died, Sean, people freaked the fuck out. Well, wasn't Rudolph Valentino like the first? He was the the first male sex superstar symbol? out of Hollywood, basically. Um, it's really hard to compare what happened when he died to anything of modern day. Maybe the most recent like mass mourning and publicized funeral we've seen in the pop culture sphere that could kind of be on this level would be Michael Jackson. Because this was more than 100,000 people lining the streets of Manhattan to pay their respects at his funeral. Yeah, it'd be, Rudolph Valentino wasn't a, a, you know, a touchy guy. So so it's it's not the same as Michael Jackson, who was a, a touchy guy. Yeah, there was kind of a pall over that. <laughs> yes. There's a little bit of a pall over the Michael Jackson uh, yes. uh, legacy. Yeah. Uh, Rudy Valentino, maybe less so. Maybe. Some fans smashed the windows of the funeral home to try and get in, and an all-day riot erupted. Like This was crazy stuff. Wow. Despondent fans committed or tried to commit suicide, including a London woman who drank poison while holding Valentino's photo, two women who attempted suicide outside of the hospital where Val Valentino died, and a young man who killed himself while lying in a bed covered with photos of Valentino. That is a little intense. The drama, though. Where are the parents? <laughs> he was a young man. He might be like, what, 20? I don't know. Now, the interesting thing is Valentino probably doesn't haunt Hollywood Forever Cemetery, but one of his mourners does. Oh. Each year on the anniversary of his death, a mysterious lady in black appeared at his tomb and left a single red rose. The identity of the original Lady in Black is disputed, but the most convincing claimant is Dietra Flamme, who said that Valentino visited her in the hospital when she was deathly ill at age 14, bringing her a red rose. Oh, what a nice man. And they stayed friendly for the rest of Valentino's life. Valentino had apparently told Flamme, quote, If I die before you do, please come and stay with me. I don't want to be alone either. Promise you will come and talk to me. And he did die first. So Flamme said she kept up her annual visit for three decades, but abandoned the practice when multiple imitators and the media started showing up because she would visit on his uh, death anniversary. Oh, geez. Like the, um, is it, is it uh, Poe who has a toaster? Yes. The Poe, the Poe toaster, I think yeah. it's called. Yeah. Flamme died in 1984 with her San Jacinto, California tombstone reading simply Lady in Black. So she she took her role seriously. Yeah, really. Now her tombstone didn't have her name on it. Probably this was just like the epitaph, probably. Well, I, I mean that's awesome. Mm -hmm. You gotta you gotta move past like devoted mother, you know, loving wife. This is her thing. You gotta get to something good. Yeah, the woman in black. <laughs> Multiple ladies in black have visited Valentino's grave after her death, but it's said that her actual ghost has been spotted there as well. Apparently, after each of these sightings, there are always fresh red roses in the wall vases next to Valentino's tomb, where there weren't any before. One first-person account discusses seeing a shadowy figure lingering around the tomb that would disappear. Upon checking the entrance to the mausoleum, no one else was seen to be present. But when returning to Valentino's tomb right after, there were now fresh, long-stemmed roses in each of the vases. All right. So we're looking for a stealthy florist. <laughs> exactly. Virginia Rappé is another tragic figure buried at Hollywood Forever, who had even co-starred with Rudolph Valentino in the film Over the Rhine. Her death 
caused the first massive Hollywood sex scandal and took down one of the biggest comedians of the silent film era. Tell me about this. <sighs> Roscoe, or known as Fatty, Arbuckle had just signed oh. an insane for the time period contract of one million with Paramount, and he decided to celebrate with a wild weekend party at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. Oh, this is this story. Yeah. Rappé, uh, unfortunate name too. Yeah. R-A-P-P-E. Mm -hmm. Long story short, because we'll definitely talk about this case in the future. Uh, she attended this party and days later died of a burst bladder and peritonitis. Maud Delmont, who was a shady character who had come to the party with Rappé, told... Can you tell the... Obviously, I know, but could you let the audience know what peritonitis is? Sure. <laughs> peritonitis is an inflammation of the peritoneum, a silk-like membrane that lines your inner abdominal wall and covers the organs within your abdomen, usually due to a bacterial or fungal infection. Oh, okay. Okay. So, Maud Delmont told police that Arbuckle had raped Virginia Rappe. Tabloids at the time had a field day because Fatty Arbuckle was a huge star. And think of the, again, I don't want to get back into her name again, but think of the New York Post style puns. Oh, so many. They disgustingly insinuated at different times that Arbuckle's enormous weight had ruptured, ruptured Rappé's bladder when he forced himself on her, or that Arbuckle forced a piece of ice or some kind of glass bottle into Rappé to uh, simulate sex. Jesus. Like, like the knife dildo in, in Seven? Yeah, something like that. Oh, Rappé's ghost is not often seen near her grave, but more often a disembodied woman's crying is heard in the area with no one around to trace it to. She has, however, been seen a few times weeping at her grave site. How about when they just blame it on his gut? Like, yeah, not only is he a, a rapist and a murderer, he's fat, too. Well, yeah, they, that was like the joke. Like, oh, he's so fat. How fat is he? He killed her when he raped her. <laughs> yeah, hilarious, guys. Really great. So that's Hollywood Forever. Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Uh, I would, I could spend forever walking around soaking up those stories. Uh, but we will not spend forever on this break. <laughs> and uh, we'll be right back with more of the show. Thanks. Bye. Science, science, science. science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Woo! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. 
You're here, which means you love podcasts, but are you looking for another kind of entertainment on the go? Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to memoirs, news, business, and more. By signing up for a free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scary, you'll receive access to thousands of titles with one credit toward any audiobook and two Audible originals, free during your trial and then with subscription each month after. Personally, my favorite Audible title is also my favorite book, It by Stephen King. I went into this audiobook ready to judge because I've loved this novel since I was a kid, but between the stellar production value and the truly breathtaking narration performance by actor Steven Weber, I was 100% all in. If you like this podcast, and have a strong stomach, I think you will be too. Not into audiobooks? No problem. With podcasts, theatrical performances, guided meditations, and more, Audible offers something for everyone. So what are you waiting for? Get started now. And hey, you'll be helping support the podcast. Visit our link at www.audibletrial.com slash ain't it scary for a free trial. That's www.audibletrial.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y. Audible. Listen more. And we're back. We just heard about the ghosts with the most. Uh, well, not just them. I guess all the ghosts over at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. <laughs> and um, what do we got next, Caroline, in our tour of haunted Hollywood? Yes, back in Hollywood. Possibly the most iconic location in the area, the Hollywood Sign. Let's see what our old friend Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures has to say about it. No. If you ever are thinking about trying to investigate this sign, don't think about it. This is not smart. If you, okay, so hold on. I was thinking about investigate. Is that Zach saying? That's Zachary, yes. Don't think about it. Well, I've thought about it, Sean. Uh, so you've definitely seen this sign before. It's the 45-foot-tall white block letters spelling out the word Hollywood over Hollywood Hills. Can I ask, I assume you've watched that full episode of Ghost Adventures. Of course I have. Does he say that before or after he investigates the Hollywood sign? I think before. It's before. It's when he says, don't think about it, it's still during the daytime when they're doing their interviews. So, so he then proceeds to lock himself inside the building. Uh, like, there's no building. It's a sign. Yes. How does the lockdown go in this one? Well, they divide their time between a few different locations, and Aaron and another fella um, end up doing the investigation there. I think we'll return to that a little later. Okay. So the Hollywood sign was erected in 1923 as temporary advertising for a real estate development with the original sign reading Hollywood Land. Due to increasing recognition, the sign was left up and has remained ever since, even though the land part was removed in 1949 to more reflect the area rather than the development itself. Oh, I always kind of thought it just was in sort of disrepair and shitty. And oh, it like, definitely well, it'd be, was. It'd be less to repair if we just knocked these letters off. Uh, it definitely was. There are also stories of the of, of like an earthquake knocking over the land part, but basically the hall like the city of hollywood or the district of hollywood took over payment 
keeping up the sign in 1949 they were like well let's make it hollywood because that's what this place is called we're the ones paying for it yeah it got really bad and run down by like the 70s and then hugh hefner took over basically restoring the whole thing and he got different people to donate to different letters so he took the why i believe alice cooper took one of the letters in tribute to groucho marx which is adorable um a couple other big names so well, it's it's nice and uh, restored today. Yeah, that's not that's a lot better than. Correct me if I'm wrong. Hef's original plan was just to make the sign one big boob, right? <laughs> just on top of the hill. Yeah, well, one boob out of context. It doesn't say a lot. Two boobs, but he didn't have the money for that. Anyway, the sign brings us to the ghost of Millicent Lillian Peg and Whistle. I don't know how Peg is short for Millicent, but. It seems like in the like twenties through fifties, Peg was kind of short for anything. It could I be know short it's for short Sarah. for Margaret, but at least Margaret has like a G in it. I don't know where Peg comes from for Millicent. I still, it's a stretch for Margaret. <laughs> I'm Peg. It's short for Amanda. <laughs> Pegathy. <laughs> and Whistle was an up and coming theater actress when she ended up in Hollywood for a play in 1932. She had her only credited film role in the film 13 Women, a film which drew neither critical nor commercial success. Eey. She had been left on the cutting room floor of around half a dozen other movies to that point. So this was a big blow. Oh, Peg. Yeah. You know, at a certain point, Peg, go home. Well... On or about September 16th, 1932, Entwistle had had enough of what she perceived to be a dead-end film career and a city that portrayed her in her dreams. So in the ultimate symbolic gesture, she made her way up the southern slope of Mount Lee, climbed a workman's ladder to the top of the H, and jumped. Now, she can't be. A, of course, is the most symbolic. <laughs> you know, you couldn't get more on the nose than than jumping off the h in the hollywood sign mm -hmm. but she can't be the only um young girl with crushed dreams who committed suicide there right she is yeah wow yeah i mean i think other people have uh been more murdered or committed suicide in the hollywood hills and the area around the sign she's the only one that has jumped off wow she was missing for two days until her body was found by a female hiker below the hollywood signed or the hollywood land signed um, she found Entwistle's shoe, jacket, and purse, inside of which was a suicide note. The note as published read, I am afraid. I am a coward. I am sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, it would have saved a lot of pain. P.E. That's a bummer, Peggy. Yeah, well, she killed herself, Sean. Eh. And Peggy. <laughs> Well, you want to know the most tragic part? At the time, uh, about the time her body was found, a letter arrived at the home she was staying in from the Beverly Hills Playhouse, offering Peg the lead role in their next production. She was to play the part of a young woman who commits suicide. No. Mm -hmm. wow. So if she had just waited a little longer, maybe she would have found something to live for. And she was in ultimate preparation for the role. Yeah. Really going method. <laughs> So during the Ghost Adventures Haunted Hollywood episode in 2015, a security officer in Griffith Park, where the Hollywood sign is located, said that he'd seen a white mist type apparition before and that another officer who had been working there for over 20 years said, quote, 
If you go on that trail at night, you will see her sometime around midnight. They see it all the time. Wow. All the time? (laughs) Yeah. That's what he said. There have been two reports of people seeing a woman jumping from the sign's H, only for no body to be found after. Others have seen a woman in period clothing walking up the road to the sign. And those ghost adventures, boys, they found black anomalies in a couple photos of the sign resembling an arm reaching out from behind the L. Um, black anomalies are... Uh... Ghost adventures talk for a shadow, right? Yes, they're shadow figures. Um, Let's see what else they found. You can clearly hear a voice respond to Aaron saying yes over the layer of rapid machine gun white noise that comes from sweeping in reverse. There any spirits back here chilling? Yes! Dude, it just said yes right when I said that. So no, you said yes. It said yes. Well, it said yes, Sean. So there's that. It sounded like someone was playing a tiny didgeridoo. <laughs> the last major location we'll tackle today is Universal Studios. Universal Studios Hollywood is both a film studio and a theme park in LA. I love. I love a theme park. I love them more, not less, as I become uh, an adult, as I become, let's face it, a close to middle-aged adult. Mm -hmm. I I like them more than ever. Uh, And Universal Studios is a great one. It's the magic of the movies, Carrie. Mm -hmm. Universal City was opened in 1915 by Carl Lamley, film producer and founder of Universal Pictures. There were tours of Universal Studios offered to the public since the very beginning, but the first attraction to open in a theme park sense was Warlord Tower in 1965. Now that sounds like a great ride. (laughs) Sounds very intense. Lon Chaney, known as the Man with a Thousand Faces, apparently took one of his signature roles with him to the grave. The actor portrayed the Phantom in the 1925 production, The Phantom of the Opera, which kicked off the Universal Monsters horror universe. Oh, Lon Chaney Sr. Yes, Sr. I saw him walking with the Queen. No, that was Lon Chaney Jr. walking with the Queen. Oh, they were both walking with the Queen. You're doing the werewolves of London. Right. Chaney apparently loved the role of the Phantom because in stage 28, where the film was partially shot, he was spotted lurking around, including on the catwalks above the stage still wearing his long black phantom cape. Well, and lurking is kind of what the phantom right. does. I mean, ugh, best ghost ever, probably. You think the phantom's the best ghost? No, Lon Chaney pretending to be the phantom of the opera oh, yeah, on a film set is the peak of drama. And he's never out of character. Speaking of method acting, I imagine mean, Daniel amazing. Day-Lewis comes back uh, you know, as a ghost, but he's just Bill the Butcher all the time. <laughs> exactly. The reports happen so often that security guards even stopped searching the soundstage when they came in. Some crewmen attempting to work on the studio experienced mysterious, sometimes fatal accidents, like an electrician that fell to his death from the catwalk. Maybe he saw Lon Chaney and was scared and fell off his ladder. People fall off catwalks. Okay. An episode of Knight Rider, titled Fright Night, not with a K, uh, even took inspiration. <laughs> what a wasted opportunity. Uh, mess. Even took inspiration from The Haunting with a phantom of stage 28 haunting the set of a modern day Western. So it was clearly inspired by this case. 
Sadly, Stage 28 was demolished in 2016 to make way for future theme park expansions. I mean, it was a historical location with a historic ghost, but whatever. The March of Commerce <laughs> goes on. Well, yeah, they had to put that, um, like, King Kong Ugh. thing that they, you know, have since demolished. But I do wonder if Cheney's ghost is still there or if he's moved on to greener pastures. Listen, it, even Back to the Future isn't still there. I'm I, so I, mad about that. I doubt if Lon Chaney's still hanging around. <sighs> Progress marches on. Now, we can't forget another fellow with a cool nickname, the master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> yes, that's the classic <laughs> Hitchcock <laughs> sound effect. <laughs> that's what his... That's what his facial expression well, is saying his, to me. He, yes, he looks like a <laughs> Apparently, the auteur and cl- director of such classic thrillers as Psycho and the Birds haunts the Shrek 4D attraction. What? I've seen that attraction. <laughs> okay, okay. Admittedly, this one doesn't actually take place in Universal Hollywood, but rather Universal Orlando. It doesn't matter. I've seen the Shrek attraction <laughs> in both. <laughs> I just couldn't leave it off the list since it includes one of the most famous directors of all time. So it's kind of tangential. The blog Halloween Horror Nights Unofficial received reports that Hitch was haunting Shrek. So they reached out on Twitter to see if this was true. And apparently it is. What? The Shrek 4D attraction was opened in the same building that featured Alfred Hitchcock, The Art of Making Movies. And then that was I, I remember that for Shrek. I remember being a child and being completely uninterested in Alfred Hitchcock, The Art of Making Movies. Yeah. A fellow that worked there in 2006, soon after the Shrek attraction opened, said that two co-workers had had run-ins with old Alfred in the first theater and doors shut on their own, lights shut off by themselves, etc., other current employees also chimed in, quote, yes, the place is literally haunted by Alfred. His spirit walks that soundstage and he is not happy the ogre replaced his beloved attraction. The weirdest experience I had was one evening we were waving at the last group out the door. And as I walked back, the Pinocchio animatronic started to rapidly kick its legs and then stopped. The room was deathly silent. After that, it was very strange. Another. Why, why, why must the ogre torment me? <laughs> I wish to keep showing the children clips from Vertigo. <laughs> Look at the sexual obsession. Ugh. I don't know. That's not Alfred Hitchcock. No, it's Severus Snape. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mr. Potter. Potter. Um, another employee posted in the Halloween Horror Nights group just wanted to say if any of y'all want an Alfred Hitchcock house, just work at Shrek. Believe me, he haunts the heck out of that place. Also, the second theater of Shrek is officially closed for the year, and team members aren't allowed in, aren't allowed in so the house construction in there has begun. Uh, it also didn't make Alfred too happy. He broke our first theater in revenge the first day it went down. We have to say hi to Alfred every morning or he gets angry and stuff will go wrong. Oh, stop it. He's a gremlin? <laughs> yeah. In the ride-throughs in the mornings, there's often a, a seat in the back row that will go down. And when the show finishes, it'll go back up like someone's sitting in it, but no one's there. All the team members there know it. Look, if the sets were covered each morning in ladies' underclothes, 
Then maybe I'd believe Alfred Hitchcock Torn is haunting. Up photos of Tippy Hedren. Yes. <laughs> then maybe Alf is behind this thing. I know, but I love the idea of Hitchcock being pissed off that his big attraction was shunted aside in favor of a Shrek ride. I think that's so funny. I know, and who who could blame him? But on the other hand, again, Alfred, the kids aren't interested. <laughs> he literally came back from the grave because he was pissed off about it. Also, the Shrek 4D ride is better than... Like half of the Shrek movies. <laughs> but we do have a lot of thoughts about Alfred Hitchcock, don't we, Sean? Oh, yeah. Actually, for more of them, you can subscribe to the podcast You're Missing Out on any of your favorite podcatchers, which is hosted by my two good friends from film school, Mike and Tom. We're guesting on their Vertigo episode dropping in January, and you definitely don't want to miss it. Yeah, we had a great time. Um, oh, that's a peek behind the kimono. We uh, enough with the kimono. Up the kimono, behind the kimono. It's been recorded. How many kimonos do you have? Well, it depends on the show. I got one pot under the kimono. I got one pot behind the kimono. Ugh. Yuck! I hate it. But yes. But yeah, we've already done that show, and it was uh, a blast. Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So, Sean, those are the major location hauntings, but there are a few more fun stories that I didn't want to leave out. Okay. Can't wait. Atric, uh, <laughs> actress and singer Haley Steinfeld in an interview on... Oh, no, this one doesn't track for me. She's still alive. I'm not dying yet. <laughs> in an interview on Live with Kelly and Ryan, discussed how she had an encounter when recording an album in what used to be Marilyn Monroe's apartment. Ooh. She saw a disembodied hand in front of her and felt a rush of cold air as she was starting to record a track and later asked to hear it back. On the recording, a rush of air can be heard at the same point Haley had felt it earlier. Wow. Mm -hmm. So. And obviously there's no air ventilation or anything going on because they're recording. So you can't have like an AC buzzing in the background. Right. But like a. Like a door closing in a different part of the building. Um, again, a lot of these places are very soundproofed and movement proofed and all that fun stuff. So butterfly flapping its wings in Japan. <laughs> yes, of course, the butterfly effect. Now I mentioned Rudolph Valentino is a hardworking ghost, and it's true. He's been seen all over town from Paramount Studios to his old apartment to Hotel Alexandria to, I mean, you get the point. He's been everywhere. Oh, that's what I was going to ask uh, back when we were talking about Marilyn. When you're a ghost, do you hang out where you got killed? Do you hang out where you were buried? Neither. Valentino seems to hang out anywhere he was ever at. Like, he, there was... So many things on the list of where he supposedly haunts. He's like Bill Murray. He's just showing up at your wedding. <laughs> yes. No one will believe you. But maybe the story of Valentino's cursed ring is the most fascinating of all. Oh, this rings a bell, but but give it to it me. rings a bell? Ugh. Sorry. The story, as recounted on the Ripley's website of Ripley's Believe It or Not fame, goes like this. Do you believe it? Let's find out. Valentino spotted the ring in the window of a San Francisco shop, and it was love at first sight. The shopkeeper warned him that previous owners of the ring had been met with bad luck, but Valentino didn't care. At the time, everything was coming up Rudy. But after purchasing the ring, things began to go wrong. He had a horrible flop with the film The Young Raja, and his career never fully recovered. And then in 1926, he died while wearing the ring. Okay. 
So, the ring was passed on to Valentino's lover, Pola Negri. She fell ill, and her acting career was cut short until she gave the ring away to her friend, singer and actor, Russ Colombo. And then she got better? Yes, after giving away the ring. Did she know she was killing Russ with this ring? I don't know. It's rough. It's a rough thing to do to your friend. Giving a ring just to your friend is weird. Yes. Uh, Much less one that's going to murder them. Well, Russ Colombo got the ring. Days after receiving the ring, Russ was shot in the head by accident at a friend's house. By accident at a friend's house? Yeah. The ring was bequeathed after that to Colombo's best friend, Joe Casino. Joe (laughs) Casino. Now, this is Russ Colombo and Joe Casino. And your dad knew all these guys back in Pelham, right? I know a Joe Colombo, actually. He's a very sweet man. So, hi, Joe, if you're listening. But Russ Colombo dies, Joe Casino. Okay. He locked it away for years in a display case. When Joe felt bold enough to wear the ring out, he was killed immediately when a truck hit his car. What? Yes. Del Casino, Joe's brother, inherited the ring next and was convinced that the curse was a lot of BS because he could wear it without any issues. But then... A thief broke in and stole the ring, only to be killed by police as he was running away. Oh, so this guy's like the one safe carrier. He's like yes. a bird with the avian flu. He's not going to get sick. <laughs> He's the Frodo of this story. So Dell got the ring back and he was like, whatever, sucks to suck. My ring still. Yeah, I got to hold on to this thing <laughs> just to protect the world now. Mm-hmm. But he gave the ring to film director Edward Small to be used in a movie about <sighs> Valentino. Small gave the ring to actor Jack Dunn to wear in his portrayal of Rudolph. And Jack died two weeks later of blood poisoning from tularemia. Jack, leave your fucking costumes on set. Yeah. So Dell gets the ring back. And after all of this, he's like, okay, maybe now I'll take it seriously. So he goes to throw it in the fires of Mount Doom? (laughs) No. But... He died of natural causes years later, and his possessions passed into a bank vault in L.A. During the ring's presence in the bank, the bank itself was robbed twice, and the ring was stolen a second time. Oh, boy. What happened to this guy? And for the second time, the thieves were shot dead during the ensuing police chase. Now, to be fair, it's a risky... What do they say during this pandemic? That's a high-risk activity, robbing a bank. Right. The bank later burned down. (laughs) (laughs) now after the ring had oh no hold on so they returned the ring to the vault obviously because the guys were killed back in the vault the the bank burned down okay so i'm not sure where the ring is now (laughs) if it's still in the bank after they rebuilt it or what some say valentino's ghost still searches for the ring wanting to destroy it Sadly, but adorably, even Valentino's dog's ghost has been seen as well. What? what? What kind of dog? I'm not sure, but his name is Kabar. And he is said to howl for his lost owner both at Falcon Lair, the mansion Valentino owned, and Los Angeles Pet Cemetery in Calabasas, where he was laid to rest. What a good boy. Sweet pup. I, I'm not... Listen. It's tough to, when you hear just a dog barking or howling. We're not talking about a ghostly... It was a mournful howl, Sean. We're not talking about a ghostly apparition of a dog. It's, I was near a pet cemetery and I heard a dog barking. Okay, but all the dogs in the pet cemetery are dead, so where's the barking coming from? Also, it was a plaintive howl. 
not a bark. Yeah, I still say it's like a coyote <laughs> or uh, somebody walking their dog within half a mile. Maybe. Last but certainly not least, we have a pair of doomed beauties, Jean Harlow and Sharon Tate. Harlow was yet another icon of the silver screen in the 20s, known for her platinum blonde hair. Her husband, producer Paul Byrne, was found dead of a gunshot wound in Harlow's bedroom at their home in Benedict Canyon two months after they were married. It was ruled a suicide, but there were a number of suspicious circumstances surrounding his death, including two hours passing between the time the body was discovered and when the police was, were finally called to the scene. Discovered by her? Um, I'm not quite sure. I know she was filming a movie at the time, so maybe. She was apparently never accused of the crime. And she died in 1937 at only 26 of kidney failure. What? Yeah. That doesn't really happen. There was no dialysis back in the day, so... Mm. You have some sort of kidney disease, it was a lot harder to treat. Tate, as you may remember from our last episode, was the actress and the wife of director Roman Polanski, who was tragically murdered by the Manson family in 1969. Yeah. So... Where did these two lives intersect? Well, Harlow's home in Benedict Canyon was purchased by celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring in 1966, who at the time was dating Sharon Tate. One evening, Tate, ins one evening, Tate insisted she saw the ghostly specter of a man that appeared to be looking for something as it wandered throughout their bedroom. And the weirdest part, she said, was that it didn't just float through objects like you would expect a ghost to do. It would, like, bump into things that it seemed to not expect were there. I think she might have just seen a pale guy break into their bedroom. She said she could see through him. He was like, very spectral. Very pale. Yes. <laughs> Tate ran past the apparition to the stairs, only to see something sitting hunched over at the foot of the stairwell. When she got a better look, she couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman, only that the head was cocked to one side, eyes wide open, with a deep gash slitting open its throat. Oh, that's a very gory Sixth, uh, sixth Sense-style ghost. Yeah. So she basically ran past whatever this thing was, got a strong drink, ran back upstairs. The thing hadn't moved. It was still there. Mm -hmm. The apparition upstairs had wandered out into the hallway. So she ran back in the bedroom, closed the door, and she just immediately passed out. Big, a lot of lot of stuff going on that night. Did anyone else see these ghosts besides Sharon Tate? She was alone in the house that night. Uh, she recalled the ghastly scene for Sebring the next day and insisted that the apparition was Paul Byrne, the suicide or murdered uh, husband of Jean Harlow. Uh, right. But she had no idea what the thing at the bottom of the stairs was. Now, eerily, Sebring and Tate were both killed during the Helter Skelter murders at Tate's rented home on Cielo Drive three years later, with Tate losing her life at the end of a knife. Yeah. So was what she saw in 1966 a chilling premonition of her bloody fate to come? Likely not, but it's creepy. <laughs> All right, Sean, what do you think? Do you think that tragedy tends to surround the biggest lives in Hollywood, and does that make a city full of ghosts an inevitability? Well, we established at the start that I don't believe in ghosts, so... <sighs> I know, I was trying to convince you with Valentino and the dog and Lon Chaney. I love Valentino's ring, that's a great story. I mean, it's pretty wild. That's a lot of coincidences. And yeah. sure, you can, you can say, oh, I tripped and I fell and I was wearing the ring, but it was like 
for a while, there was every owner of the ring, something bad happened. Pretty you, immediately after they started wearing it. If you had the opportunity, would you want that ring? No. Oh, I would. No. Yes. Of course I do. Because I don't know if I believe in curses, right? But I believe in like bad vibes and juju. Like I believe in just, I mean, so many people wearing the ring have died. It's like, it's a creepy thing to own. I mean, I'm a creepy person, right? But I don't know. I just feel like it would be bad, bad vibes to wear it. I don't know. It's kind of like those, um, there's those apartments in Salem that every ghost tour will tell you, like, never live in those apartments. Everyone who moves in there different. dies. Well, yeah. It's not. They, I'd that's move what into a say. haunted house, but I wouldn't wear a haunted object. I don't know. It makes no sense. But that's that's how I feel. That's how I feel, Sean. I, you're entitled to your feelings, baby, <laughs> and I will always, always back you up on that. But not about the existence of ghosts. She doesn't want to wear the ring. Don't make her wear the ring. <laughs> As I hurl my engagement ring back at you. <laughs> no, no. Keep that one on. Yes, I'll, I'll try. So that's it. That's it for Haunted Hollywood so far. I mean, there are so many stories and ghosts and tragedies around Hollywood that we could probably do more episodes. But that's it for tonight. Yeah, well, let's absolutely come back to Haunted Hollywood, uh, mm-hmm. Cursed Hollywood, just spooky Hollywood uh, later on. It's such a nice intersection of everything that we love. Exactly. Uh, speaking of which, we uh, rounded out the Hellraiser uh, trilogy mm. recently. Mm-hmm. Hellraiser 3 is batshit. We'll be back in a minute <laughs> with some news. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're headed to the Bazaar Bazaar. Oh, This week, a Utah Division of Wildlife Resources helicopter was counting bighorn sheep in southeastern Utah when they spotted a strange object and landed to check it. Once there, they discovered a nearly 12-foot-tall metal monolith, which had somehow found its way to the middle of this remote area of federal lands. Wow, did it look old? Tell me about the monolith. No, it didn't look old. Um... Oh, we're getting a picture of this right now, and we will put this on the website with this episode. Oh, it's just a, it's just a shiny column. Yes, it's it's just plain. There's no markings on it. Nothing. Like it's, it's like a almost a two thousand one style uh, monolith. Right. Um, the Utah Department of Public Safety says it has no idea where this object came from. And intrepid researchers on Google Earth found that it must have been placed sometime between summer 2015 and fall 2016, because it just appears at a certain point. Oh, in the satellite images? Yes. (laughs) Um, Now, this is an area that is notoriously extremely difficult to get to and very dangerous. Like, you can easily get stuck because it's on federal lands, first of all. It's very remote wilderness. 
They didn't even really disclose where exactly they found it because they didn't want people looking for it and getting stuck or dying. Right. So the idea of this 12 foot tall metal monolith making it out there somehow, no one knows where it came from. In a jokey nod to how the monolith resembles the giant structure from 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh-huh. the Utah DPS stated, quote, it is illegal to install structures or art without authorization on federally managed public lands, no matter what planet you're from. Ha! <laughs> as of now, there is no obvious clue as to who left the monolith, and no one has yet come forward to take credit. All right. Well, are they taking offers for it? Because, you know, we're going to be looking for a house pretty soon here. And what a nice uh, just backyard centerpiece. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. It looks like something from a Kubrick movie when you see it in pictures, because there's like the red rock kind of formations behind it. There's a guy wearing a big jumpsuit next to it. It just looks like a sci-fi movie. It looks so weird. (laughs) Um, But there's no clues as to where it came from. Wow. Well, we'll try and keep you guys updated if there's any new stories about it or people coming forward saying that they put it there. But for now, it's a mystery. Yeah. And if anybody else knows about this monolith, let us know. Tell us. Don't let the proper authorities know. Let us know so we can break the news. (laughs) I mean, if you want to send an email, it's ain't it scary at gmail.com. Shout us out. Whatever. Thanks. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on iTunes because we'll be forever grateful. See you next Thursday. Yep. Uh, show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. This has been a production of Longboy Media. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.